Welcome back here to NL Newsday. Now, of course, it is Monday, and so because it is the first day of the work week, pleased to welcome to the show Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks, as always, for the time. Now, I uh, wanted to start here with the topic of e-bikes, electronic bicycles. Now, you and I, I believe, have talked about this before, Kyla, and there's a lot of confusion over which makes and models fall within provincial regulations. Now, the BC Court of Appeal recently handed down a 2-1 decision against a man who was fighting a pair of tickets received for riding an electric bike, which resembles uh, like a motorcycle, I guess. And in July 2018, he was cited in Surrey for driving without a license and without insurance. And his lawyer was arguing that he doesn't have a driver's license because, well, that's one of the reasons why he bought this bike in the first place. The Motor Reno XMR is the uh, model we're talking about here. The lawyer also went on to note that a lot of people were buying these believing they're on the right side of the law. So uh, I guess just Kyla, uh, the province, you know, it says motor assisted cycles that meet certain criteria do not require a driver's license or insurance, which is why a lot of people want to buy these things. You think that they would kind of clarify things to make sure that people who are, you know, purchasing these vehicles are doing so in accordance with the law, but yet confusion does remain. So I guess what is the most confusing part about this law in the first place? Uh, the most confusing part about this law is probably what is meant by um, the various provisions of the Motor Vehicle Act, because they aren't written very clearly. I mean, this this judgment that you mentioned from the BC Court of Appeal, we rarely see judges disagree in our Court of Appeal and have dis a dissenting judge. We especially rarely see it when it comes to driving offenses. And the interpretation of the words in the legislation is so confusing that three judges couldn't agree on what it was meant to mean. That, to me, tells us that the legislature did not draft the legislation clearly enough to impart upon the reader its intended purpose. So, you know, the definitions of, of you know, what is motor-assisted, um, what is, you know, how do you measure a wheel was an, an issue that came up in the background of this. There's no definition of wheel in the Motor Vehicle Act, and yet there are regulations about the size of a wheel and whether it's measured from the inside or the outside. These are critical issues that people need to know, and we have no standard in our law to explain any of that or make it clear what exactly the government is intending us to be allowed to drive without licenses and insurance and not allowed to drive without licenses and insurance. Yeah, and one of the things that did come up in this particular case was talk about the use of pedals, right? There has to be some ability for uh, manual power to be able to actually pedal a bike forward. In this case, uh, this man that we're talking about here in Surrey, I understand his bike did have pedals, so he probably thought he was fine, but, you know, it is a little bit more complicated than just, hey, you, your, your motor-assisted vehicle must also have pedals on it. I guess, what would you like to see clarified? If you, know, if you had the choice to, to make a change here, what sort of would things look like? I think the government could easily regulate various models. Uh, they could do it by regulation, outline the specific makes and models of things that they believe qualify as motor-assisted cycles, and manufacturers of these uh, or distributors of them could apply to government for uh, a bike or a motor-assisted bike to be uh, added to the list in the regulations um, based on complying with uh, the requirements that the government has in mind rather than putting the onus on 
the companies to try and figure out whether this fits within the definition of confusing legislation or on the riders to try and interpret the law and purchase something that meets the requirements of the law. I think if you if you put the burden on the manufacturer to get approval of the specific bike or the specific device, um, that's more likely to lead to certainty for the public about what they can and can't drive. Yeah, so obviously a lot of people doing research when they're going in to buy electric bikes, particularly if you don't have you know a, a, a driver's license, then you're wanna, gonna be wanting to buy one that you can drive without a license to make sure you're legally using it. Um, but there's seems to be a lot of difference of opinion on what might actually qualify. And you talked about how it should probably fall to the manufacturers. I guess, is there any responsibility on retailers as well to kind of know what they are selling? Or is it just so confusing that even they are sort of, you know, it's, it's not fair to expect that from them too? Retailers need to know what they're selling um, because when you're a purchaser um, and you're going into the store, you're relying on the knowledge and expertise of the retailer to tell to sell you something that is going to meet your needs. And there's even legislation in British Columbia, our Sale of Goods Act, um, that puts a burden on retailers to be correct when somebody approaches them um, and relies on the, the particular knowledge and judgment of the retailer um, on a complicated issue. They explain the purpose for which they need something, the retailer has a burden to be correct or they have an obligation to provide a refund for that item. And so there is a significant obligation on a retailer and retailers should be reaching out to government and saying, this isn't fair to us because we cannot advise our customers and we can't run our business when we don't know what, whether we're selling something that's lawful or not. Yeah. And, you know, going through this whole conversation, this does feel like something that should be clarified and fixed pretty quickly because the popularity of electric bikes, right, is only going up. We got people who are more conscious about their, you know, greenhouse gas emissions. So maybe they're trying to get away from gas powered vehicles and switch to something like an e-bike. Um, I, I just imagine that these types of situations are just going to be popping up far more frequently. So this is something that I think should be changed rather quickly. How quickly do you think something like that could be fixed? Uh, I mean, theoretically, if it were done by regulation, it could be fixed very quickly. But realistically, this is not a priority for government. Government does not mind the fact that people out there aren't able to clearly understand the law and clearly um, can't get it right. They don't mind the fact that ICBC isn't selling insurance for things that can't be driven without a license and insurance anyway. Um, because at the end of the day, the more people that get it wrong and that go out and ride something without insurance or without a license, the more revenue the government gets from fine generation. So they're not motivated to change the law to make it more clear. It's something that is, that is, you know, ultimately benefiting the government and they can rely on the courts to sort out the confusion without having to worry about needing to amend the legislation until we get to a point, I think where, you know, it's, it ends up looking like our distracted driving laws. Yeah. Um, one thing too, just to kind of wrap up this conversation, but this also becomes an issue when we're talking about things like um, like electric scooters or even electric skateboards. I know there's some municipalities who are sort of looking at having kind of a, a, a trial basis to being allowed to use them in some other parks and things like that, because right now it's just not allowed, right? That's most, I think it's all municipalities don't have any real um, laws in place to allow people to use things like electric scooters and electric skateboards uh, throughout the community. So do you think that this is going as as more and more pilot projects such as these kind of things come on board, there will be some more pressure put on the government to make some changes, not only to electric scooters and electric bikes, but really just electric vehicles across the board. 
if municipalities start stepping up and regulating in areas that the government is neglecting, that will put pressure on the government to do something because they're going to be missing out on potential revenue that they can generate through regulation and enforcement and fine collection. If they leave that to the municipalities, that's not in our provincial government's best interests. It also makes it much more difficult for law enforcement to to do much more than write a bylaw ticket uh, about any of it. So uh, I think that, you know, the municipalities taking action and regulating this might be the type of pressure that the government needs to get around to acting. Yeah, well, uh, like I said earlier, I do think it's something that um, we should be fixing sooner than later as as these do become more and more popular. Uh, shifting gears here a little bit, Kyla, and uh, we got news today about vaccine rollout, and that's sort of been the theme of the show here throughout this afternoon. But uh, one thing that uh, has, you know, been... Um, impacted by not having vaccines yet is the ability to gather and now a legal advocacy group representing over a dozen individuals and faith-based communities in the province of bc is challenging the province's covid19 restrictions on worship services and public protests are being scheduled to be in court Uh, i believe they took place today actually i don't know what happened but to argue these cases now a petition filed by the justice center for constitutional freedoms is also asking the bc supreme court to dismiss those twenty three hundred dollar fine that have been imposed on some of these churches for violating public health orders. Now, the challenge, it's based on several sections of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, including freedom of conscience and religion and freedom of peaceful assembly. However, BC's Ministry of Health has said before, and and Minister Dix has said this a number of times, he's pretty confident that the health orders uh, are in accordance with the law, including the Charter. Now, with all of that being said, I don't feel like there is much of a leg to stand on for these groups, but... Of course, they, they obviously do. They're going to, to challenge. They're going to court to, to make their case. Do you see any kind of scenario where, you know, the, the loss of, of freedom to, um, to, to participate in, in faith-based gatherings, does that have an argument here to, to overturn some of what the province has been worshipping or, or, or preaching here, excuse me, for some time? I don't see this as likely being a successful argument either. Um, it's been tested in other jurisdictions in Canada. It's the charter is the same in Saskatchewan and Manitoba and Ontario as it is in, in British Columbia. Um, and it, although it's been tested in those jurisdictions, each time the health orders have prevailed in courts. People aren't being permitted to go back to having their religious gatherings. This is also a, a uh, an order that was made at a very late stage in the pandemic when it became clear clear that there were no other options available than imposing this order. And one of the big things that, you know, government can rely on in the fact uh, that it's violating the charter, which it is, is that their violation is justified because they're using the least impairing measures possible to deal with the right. There's no outright prohibition on faith. The government isn't saying you can't believe in whatever you know, God or deity you want to believe in, you can't practice your religion, you you can still have religious services, you just can't have them in person. Right. That's the only limitation. And I think that a court will likely be persuaded that that limitation is the least impairing avenue possible um, when everything else has been tried um, and has not been successful. Now, I guess one of the big arguments that people always make in these kinds of situations is, you know, we're allowed to go to big box stores. We're allowed to go to Walmart. We're allowed to go to Costco. Um, Why should we be allowed to go into those sorts of settings, but yet we can't have a religious gathering? I guess, you know, I I understand the argument, but why, why does that hold up, do you think? 
Um, it holds up because I think the science is different on the risk of transmission. Um, and when the court is looking at whether an infringement of a person's constitutional rights is justified, uh, they look at the evidence to show that there is a good reason for the justification. We know that when people gather close together, um, stay in one spot, um, when they're singing, as many people do as part of religious ceremonies or praying or, you know, um, becoming overcome with the, the spirit or whatever it is that they're doing, they, they spread more bacteria. Walking through the aisles of a big box store, selecting your items, paying for them while wearing a mask, while dealing with a cashier who's behind plexiglass and also wearing a mask, is not posing the same scientific level of transmission. And I think that's where the government is going to have its strongest argument on that comparator group. Yeah, and I think, you know, when you go into church, there's a lot of opportunity to be shaking hands and, and having hugs, but you're probably not going to be doing that to strangers you meet at Costco. So uh, I think that's a little bit of a different scenario as well. It'll be interesting to see, though, what, what does come from it, but I do think the province will be successful in, in holding up its side of things here. So, Kyla, as always, thank you so much for the time. Have a great rest of your Monday, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Thank you for having me. Okay, there you go. Acumen Laws. Kyla Lee, always a treat to have her on.